I'm already <laughs> a cup and a half of iced coffee in, so I'm not sure what the problem is. That's what I was, I was about to accuse you of not having your coffee for No, tonight. I definitely took a shot before I showered and then drank another glass. Just You just keep like like a, like how some people, I don't know. For some reason, I just had in my head that some people keep trays of Jello shots in their fridge. And actually, I don't <laughs> think that that's true. I don't think anyone does that, including myself, because Jello shots aren't vegan. But yeah, so if that were true, <laughs> you would keep that of coffee. Is there a vegan like gelatin? Yeah, there is totally because since Jellos, there's there's vegetarian gelatin because mm. it's not vegetarian. You can do like so, pectin, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, the same thing you use to make just regular old jelly. You can use to make a gel jello like substance. So I have not done it successfully though. But so yeah, I'm sipping on my tea right now, so I'm slowly waking up. Yeah, marshmallows are always better before you eat them. What? Then retro- in retrospect, it's like, that was not a great idea. That's true. They are very appealing when they're in a bag or a box. Or- Just like skin. Where did that come from, Justin? We're talking about gelatin. Oh, okay. I missed that segue. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, as we were talking about gelatin, I was just thinking about marshmallows what? the entire time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I didn't introduce myself. I'm Yana, by the way. Yes, yes. Um, so, yes, what are you, what are you into? What am I? What am I into in terms of gelatin or marshmallows? No, or? no. In terms of in terms of programming. Oh, in terms of programming. So right now, um, I work as a front end web developer, and I do um, I do mainly HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Um, I work with library JavaScript libraries like you know jQuery and anything else that gets thrown my way, and um, I use a CSS preprocessor SAS. So I do the front end stuff for the most part. Cool. And you've you've been being a professional developer for about a year? For about a year now, yeah. Yeah. So how did you get started? So that's a that's a really good question. Um I actually got started when a couple of years ago I was working at Penn and I was trying to put together a WordPress website and I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I just kept getting stuck. I had no idea how to configure it. I had no idea how to set up a database. Actually, I had no idea I needed a database. And I saw this class offered through Girl Develop It, and Pam was actually teaching it. Um, it was at it was at WHYY. Oh yeah, so yeah, that was a good space when we got to use that. Yeah, and Jessica Ivins was in that class with me as well. Mm-hmm. I remember she sat in front of me, and so I took the class, and I was just completely hooked. You know, I, uh, you actually taught us, Pam, how to use child themes and how to set those up. And I thought it was the most fascinating thing in the world. And, you know, previously before that, in college, I took a couple of programming classes and they were all in Java and they were pretty, they were pretty intense. Um, and I don't think in college I got the support that I really needed to become a programmer. So I didn't quite pursue it um, at that point. So after taking this WordPress class and realizing how fun it was and how simple it was to actually get started and to see your results, I really became hooked and I just started taking more and more classes. I took a, I took a couple of design classes through Penn and a, and a networking class through Penn and I took pretty much any class that Girl Develop It offered and eventually I began TAing different classes as well through, through the organization and I was just hooked. So that's kind of the long-winded answer. No, that's a I, I like stories. So, and we actually haven't we haven't I think is it our first episode is origin stories? 
It was our third episode. Third episode. Yeah. (laughs) Our origin stories are the third episode. (laughs) But but yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So so that's kind of, that's just kind of how I got into it. Then um, after, after I've been doing it for a while, I realized that I needed a little more professional practice in the world of, in the world of web. And I happened to notice uh, an internship posted at a Weber for a user experience researcher slash designer um, with Jessica Ivins. And I said, hey, I know her from this WordPress class. And at that point, I knew her from a couple of different events as well. The, the UX book club, for one, um, and from Philly Kai events. And I applied for the internship and got it and wound up working with her for about half a year. And then when the internship ended, I applied for front-end developer positions, and I wound up taking my current job, um, which is at Weblink. That's awesome. How long have you been at Weblink? I've been there for about a year now. One of the questions I had, so our topic is getting into the industry, but I also wanted to ask uh, kind of a, a tangent to what we've been talking about lately is how can... Since you've been in your job about a year and working professionally more specifically for about a year, uh, how could more experienced developers be better mentors? Or are there any things, are there things that people do that you think are annoying uh, or that you thought were annoying when you were getting started that you that you wish everyone knew not to do? Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say that everybody so far has been extremely supportive um, in the Philly community and anyone who's already helping beginning developers is already a step ahead because they already realize well I'm helping this person out and so I think they try to be they try to be sympathetic and they generally succeed very very well they don't brush you off uh, the one example that I do like using um, when I did have a bad experience is actually from college when I was taking um, data structures a data structures class using Java, and I thought it was the most exciting thing, and I was really, ex- I was really happy to take it. It was, it was a good amount of work, and we had a group project to do, and so you had to find a partner to work with. And a lot of the other people in the class were were science majors, and I was one of the only people who was not a science major. I was a history major in college. But I did have a pretty strong science background. Um, and so I partnered up with a friend who had, you know, who had previous programming experience. And we had every intention of working on this project. So he was a little more advanced than I was in terms of programming, even though we were in the same class. And we were about to get started on the project. And we had a time set up and we would meet. And he actually wound up ditching me. which was, He just which didn't was, show up? He just, he found somebody else to work on the project with. And he said, oh, well, I was, I was going to tell you. It was one of those, this is not what it looks like, but it's exactly what it looks like uh, situations. And it just, it was just such a, a setback for me because I was really looking forward to working with this other person on, on this project that we had. I think we were building a Ticket to Ride app. Um, and it was... It was just really hard for me to understand why somebody would do that, and I kind of, I kind of blamed myself that I wasn't as advanced as, as he was, and I think that really, that really put me off to programming for a while. Um, and I'm sure people, you know, beginning programmers around the area can mention similar stories with more advanced programmers as well when they were brushed off or they weren't given that 
you know, extra, extra support, um, even more subtle things that can add up after a while. Uh, so I think that that's, that's the one thing that has always been my concern is I definitely know I need a little extra support, you know, just mental support and, um, that, that hand, that guiding, that guiding hand. I've always worked really well with a mentor, um, because they were able to guide me in the right direction. That's been really beneficial to me. And when that, when that kind of disappears, I start to feel lost and I start to feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Have you, do you think, do you see yourself stepping into that role for other people? Absolutely. I definitely try to be there for, you know, younger programmers and by younger, I mean, who are, who are in the field less time than I am. Uh, for example, right now, my, my younger sister is trying to get into the field as well. And it's been hilarious watching her grow. She's been taking a lot of girl development classes through girl development Philly, even though she's, uh, she's in New York. So it's been great seeing her just because she's taking these classes and watching her grow and develop and see her interests blossom. And she's, she's really fantastic. And I've really gotten a lot out of that because she has slightly different interests than I do. And I get to learn about some of the things that she's interested in as well. So yeah, I could definitely see myself getting more into that role. And I, I would love to give back. Um, and I also really like TAing the, the girl development classes. That has been fantastic for the same exact reasons. Uh, just seeing people's different ways of thinking and how they approach problems and guiding them kind of in the right direction. But then also seeing issues that come up that I haven't seen before and, you know, learning a new way of doing things that I may not have thought of. Um, I think all of those, because of all of that, it's really fulfilling to take on, to take on a mentee or to help out, help uh, budding new programmers in the field. So what type of advice would you give to somebody trying to uh, break into the industry? I would say I would say go to as many events as you can possibly. Um, find a mentor and read. Read anything you can get your hands on. Obviously the coding, uh, you have to do the work as well. The best piece of advice I actually heard recently this past weekend is if you're coding and you're sitting there staring for more than 30 seconds, stop yourself and just start writing something and see if it works. See if it does what you're supposed to. Um, it's been a challenge that I've kind of been dealing with recently is I feel like I get very blocked sometimes when I'm thinking and I'm trying to write code and I just wind up staring at the screen for a while. And this way I just kind of keep going. So I would definitely give that piece of advice. But going back to what I was saying, saying earlier, um, I would say go go meet as many people in the field as possible. Learn about how they got there. Try to find someone that you can that you can easily relate to who has a similar backstory to your own so that you know you, you can kind of talk to them about how they broke into the field and then use similar methods. Um, read a lot of programming books. Join a book club. That's what I did. It worked great for me. You know, and try to find side projects. Go to a hackathon or a bar camp in the area. Just try to get yourself out there. I definitely think that that's the most most important way of of really breaking into the field is getting to know the people, getting to know their stories, and kind of imitating what what they were doing. Fake it until you make it. Yeah, definitely fake it until you make it. I kind of there's it's funny because that also reminds me of a a yoga tip that I heard mm -hmm. once that's kind of funny. Um, are, if you all are probably familiar with Bikram yoga, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, 
And one of the, I was reading once about someone's advice on what to do in your first Bikram yoga class. And it, their advice was to find someone with a butt that looks like yours and then just do whatever they do. And I thought that that was really funny. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> That it was like, that that's like, so you find someone who's, you know, you're like, all right, we're about the same level and just kind of imitate until you're on par. Yeah, I was I mean, trying to think, I, think... I was like, is that an appropriate joke for the podcast because it's about butts? <laughs> <laughs> but, I, don't know. I, de- I definitely think that that's, that's relevant to that. And I found, a, you know, it's funny because I thought I was such an outsider. I thought coming into the field, I was under the impression that everyone had a CS degree and everyone was a math major, and data science, and, and I was completely wrong. Um, it was actually quite the opposite. A lot of people came into the field from completely different fields. I mean, you have Elise Way, who studied photography, I believe, and she's a phenomenal JavaScript developer uh, at Monetate. You have, you know, Kat Farman, who's at Happy Cog, who was, I think, an art history major. So you have all of these people with these varied backgrounds. There are people who, you know, never went to college, and they're fantastic programmers. Um, and it really, you can always find somebody that you can relate to in that, that has similar interests and that you can kind of pick as your, as your go-to mentor, um, or even just, you know, someone that you can talk to about some of the struggles that you're dealing with or how to best overcome, uh, some of the, some of the hurdles that come with breaking into the field. So getting to know the community was one of the most, um, most important things I did, in my opinion. It seems that people are usually afraid to ask questions. Like, what strategy do you use to know, like, when you should ask questions, and mm-hmm. what advice would you give to people to ask more questions and to realize that it, you're not bugging someone if you're asking mm-hmm. more questions? I think, in terms of that, it's it kind of goes with the field. You always have to be comfortable asking questions, and I think it's that initial hurdle when you know you first start working at a job and you kind of don't know anyone um and you're worried that you're bothering people and as soon as you realize that it's a part of the job to continually ask questions to ask for reviews to ask someone to look at your code or help you help you with a problem that you're encountering or help you even get started when you have absolutely no idea what you're doing um it kind of goes along with the job and once you realize that it comes naturally kind of to continue asking those questions um well to me at least but to get over that initial hurdle i i did have that problem um mainly because i didn't really know the people that i was working with once i really got to know my team by you know grabbing coffee with them or going out to lunch and getting to know them as people it became much much easier to transfer that familiarity to actual work situations and communicate with them about my work or what struggles I was having. So that was one method that I used. And it is hard asking questions. It's a very, you know, you're unsure of yourself. And sometimes you don't want to admit it to other people. I mean, I don't want to admit it to other people when when I'm unsure of myself or when I know I'm wrong. You know, the last thing I want is my boss to see my terrible code or to see how, you know, I screwed it up and have no idea how to get, you know, how to how to move forward. But it's kind of important to just get get over that and 
I, I always have to keep reminding myself that I need to get over myself and, you know, this is, this is what I do and it's a part of the job. So I have to continually ask questions. I think that's something that comes with time. At least it, it did for me. Like I'm mm-hmm. just always running around admitting that I don't know anything that I'm doing. I like to Google something like worded maybe two or three different ways. And if I still don't know what I'm talking about, then I'm like, hey, can you explain this to me? Yeah, there's definitely, I think there's definitely a fine line between, um, between asking questions that are, that would bug somebody about simple things that you could just easily Google and then asking questions that, you know, that, that you could get a better answer from, a more relevant answer from, from your coworkers. Um, so I definitely agree. It's, it's important to kind of do a search on your own before, beforehand, um, but I think that applies to really to anything. I think that initial hurdle when you're trying to learn how to communicate with your coworkers and with your team leads, yeah. um, I think that's a little harder to get over, even if you are searching for questions online. Stack Overflow is your friend. <laughs> so what have you been learning in the past week or so? Um, in the past week or so, oh, I was learning about using local browser storage. And this past this past weekend I wrote just a little app for myself using using local storage and kind of the app accepted data from a form and then spit it out just in a table. Um, I was just curious about, you know, how it worked and and how different it was, for example, from cookies and what are good use cases for it. So I've I've been playing around with that recently. So local storage is like you can refresh the browser and your stuff is still there? Right, exactly. So you can you can just use JavaScript to store to store things within the context of the of the browser, um, and it uses it just uses key value pairs that uh, that you can reference to, and it stores everything kind of as text. So then you have to you have to parse it or you have to stringify it um, okay. whenever you're getting it in and out. Uh, but it's definitely fascinating because in general you can store up to about five megs. Of, of text, which is a huge amount, especially mm-hmm. compared to cookies. Um, there's some questions about which browsers which browsers support how much storage because it's not standard across the board. Internet Explorer, for example, you can store up to 10 megs. So, I mean, I've never tried. This is just <laughs> what I've read, but uh, I found that fascinating. But it's a, it's a good alternative, for example, if someone is, you know, if you have a commenting system on your website um, and you want to incrementally save um, people's typing so whenever they stop typing you can kind of save that information in case they're in case their browsers crashes or oh, you know, cool. something of that or something of that sort or it's used in games a lot in browser games um, it saves your game position so if you again if your browser crashes or something happens it stores your position within the game which is pretty cool too so that's something i've been working on um i've been learning about recently cool yeah i've never used browser storage sounds pretty neat were you using uh local storage directly or were you using like a library on top of it no i was using it directly now i'm poking around in my uh safari inspector trying to look at what what websites are storing locally (laughs) So that reminds me of an article that, Justin, you should check out, especially. Um, But it's actually, it's not 
new, but I feel like people have been mentioning it more because app application cache has been coming up more often. So that's different than local storage. But it reminded me, you reminded me of this article, application cache is a douchebag. <laughs> and it's it's a great longer read on all the things that are, if you decide to use application cache, because there's more people who are doing offline websites. So mm-hmm. local storage is good for, you know, for for storing, storing some data so it's easier to get at. But then application cache is the idea of, well, why can't I, you know, get this website completely offline? Which, let's be fair, that's actually, you know, that's one of those things where we're kind of doing something crazy with the web. Where we're like, so what if we take the website and the entire point of it is that it's being served over the net mm-hmm. and they're just not. So, to be fair, application cache may be a douchebag, but... <laughs> You know, there might be a reason. I'm gonna have to look this up too because it looks it looks hilarious. Okay, can you can yeah, you link to it, Pam? It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah, we'll we'll it'll go in the show and then I'll I'll chat it to you, Yana. Oh, fantastic! Thank you. So, it's it's good. So, it's the the must read for understanding application cache. <laughs> I feel like Yana, you've been doing an awesome job of just answering our questions. Did you want to randomly ask us questions on the podcast? Um, well, thanks for saying that. I, I was wondering, you know what I, you know what I always wonder? I always wonder whether my story kind of resonates with more advanced, um, developers as well. And kind of, kind of some of the challenges that you faced kind of going into the field, especially since if you've been in the field for a longer amount of time, you know, do any challenges particularly stand out? I think Len's been in the field the longest. Yeah, we established that last week. When when you were talking about, like, um, when I got started in the Ruby community, like, I had done programming on the side, like, PHP things and JavaScript for for a while, um, but never professionally. I I was in a different industry. And, yeah, I just kind of, like, started reading Ruby tutorials. I went to Philly RB meetups um, and just kind of surrounded myself um, with just the community and content. And then eventually at some point it was like, well, now I seem, I feel familiar with this stuff and I felt confident enough to, you know, apply for a job at a startup that was using Ruby. So you say the community stuff resonates with you. Well, like just kind of like, you know, starting from the outside and, and, and kind of immersing yourself in the community, but also like content, like, like reading about Ruby or Rails or playing with it in my free time or just, just trying to learn more and more every day. And then at some point, I don't know when that point was, but I, I felt familiar enough with Ruby and Rails to, to feel confident, you know, somebody paying me to, to work on it. Yeah, I had a similar story to that. Just getting to know people, and that's how I got my first Ruby job. And I'm always reading and trying to learn new things. So, Yeah, my story is a little different. I started out, I kind of got dragged into the field. I went to college for comp sci. I dropped out partially because, well, I took a year off, which I'm still taking a year off, but <laughs> I took a year off because I'm like, I, this, this seems terrible. I can't imagine programming for eight hours a day. How miserable. Uh, but then it turned out to be my only semi-marketable skill and I got jobs in the industry and always planned Woo-hoo, on leaving. marketable skills. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it, I was in the industry maybe six or seven years, never really loving what I did uh, until I found the community, started going to meetups, uh, started trying to get better. And then I realized that programming when done well could actually be fun. Uh, when it's done poorly, it's like the worst thing on the planet. <laughs> it's called job security, Len. <laughs> if we didn't have terrible programmers then we wouldn't have jobs. We're job creators. Don't you believe in being job creators? <laughs> 
Yes. Why do you hate America? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm getting at. You you got me. Uh, but I, you know, I, I actually, I'm going to, so it sounds like we we're kind of saying the same thing. I'm going to say it in a little bit of a different way is that what, what, what your story reminded me of, and you talk about asking questions and being willing to, to ask for help and realize that you realizing that you need help. Um, and I think that, yeah, when I was getting started, one of the largest turning points for me was realizing, realizing the, the, the people whose shoulders I stood upon. And that really like learning to have a deep appreciation for those people. And that's why I give back now is because it's like, you know, that was what they did for me. I try and do for other people. And, you know, when when I went to one of my first little regional tech conferences and someone they, they literally said and I was not. I, I actually got a screen a phone screen for this person for a job and I completely bombed it. I was awful. But they they totally hooked me up because they said literally by virtue of you being here you are probably better than the majority of the candidates they're already seeing. Oh wow. And so they I went straight to a phone screen. I didn't even apply to a job. I just got, you know, straight to the phone call. I completely bombed it. It was awful. But, you know, it was fun. <laughs> and, you know, I deeply appreciated that person reaching out and I, you know, let them know that I really appreciated and that it was all on me, of course. Um, but that that really when you're willing to ask for help and willing to, like, I, it is kind of that fine line because there are, I do see what it looks like when people take advantage of it and you know what that looks like. But it's hard to tell people where that line is. Like mm -hmm. when there's someone who's always asking for help and you, as someone, as me personally, as when I'm, I feel like I'm, I've handed someone an opportunity and then it's their job to carry the ball. Like they, I can't carry the ball for them. I can, you know, like open the door, but then they have to do the rest of the work. And that's the only way that they'll, and because it's also so that you know that you made it yourself. Because I've actually talked to some some senior people, and they they had some interesting opinions about so sponsorship versus mentorship. So sponsorship. So what I try and do for people sometimes, um, when you actually say I I put myself on the line for this person, and I want you to talk to them. Um, so when you do that, that you still also the person getting that opportunity, the person that has been helped they need to do the work so that they know that they earned it too. Otherwise, you'll always have that thing in your head that thinks that you didn't earn it and that messes with you. So you have to, you, there, there's a reason why you have to carry the ball. I mean, there's probably jerks who don't and that's like if you get hired at your uncle's law firm or something, I guess. But I think you appreciate things more if you had to carry it yourself. How do you like decide when someone is not doing the work versus they're actually having a really hard time with the subject matter. Um, it is just kind of, it's kind of a little bit of an, I know it when I see it, you can tell too, if someone asks too many times and they start, you know, what actually the symptom is, is they start asking different people is that they, they got a lot of help from you, but then they didn't really complete the task. And then you see them do the same thing to other people, but they stopped coming to you because they know that they didn't do the work that you asked them to do. Does that make sense? So yeah, but what of, if you did a bad job explaining it? I'm I'm talking about you know making introductions and saying okay okay hey you know you need a job or you need a project and I've made this introduction for you and then they just drop the ball mm. and then you hear from the person that you that's that's the thing is it makes you look bad and that's why it's not good because you did an introduction for this person and then they didn't carry the ball but and also then in they terms of go around and do other stuff badly as well. <laughs> 
I think I think that was a great question where, you know, what if you don't explain things thoroughly and the person just really didn't understand it? Sometimes for me, it's some sometimes what I've realized that I do is um, I bite off more than I can chew and I try to delve into a topic that is way too advanced for me. And I think it's uh, I've kind of learned to scale that back um, because there is a lot to learn and things are really exciting. But when you're when you dive into something that's way over your head and you don't have the basics to be able to understand you're setting yourself up for for failure and for disappointment and for this situation where you're just asking so many questions that and you you're just not understanding it so as a person who is being mentored or who's trying to learn something you kind of have to step back and say you know and ask yourself well do i have the basic concepts is there anything before this that i've missed learning that i need to learn you know instead of asking about uh, I don't know, search algorithms, like learn how to actually program in, in the language and ask about, you know, how to use different libraries in the language or, you, you know, whatever's relevant. So I think that's, that can be pretty hard to realize as well when you're starting to learn. Um, it definitely, it definitely was for me because in high school, I always took, you know, the hardest classes I could. And then when I got to college, I, that completely backfired on me because I was just used to taking the hardest classes. And so, of course, I signed up for the hardest classes in college. Um, and they were just, they just went completely over my head because I didn't have the basics down. And I didn't, I didn't know, uh, you know, I didn't have that base to, to kind of start off from. So I think that's definitely important to consider as well. I think, yeah, it's interesting when you say it that way is that about your example with algorithms is that also goes into being able to ask the right question that you ask questions that help you learn versus questions that help just solve the one problem so that you're attempting to learn something more deeply so that then you can solve it yourself later. Is that right? Yeah, that's, I, I would definitely say that's right. Yeah. But I think it's also on, on the mentor to be, to be able to interpret the question and maybe rephrase it for the person asking it because sometimes the person asking it doesn't know, you know, it's they like don't the stack overflow it. edit feature. Where you can edit the question and rephrase it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think one thing I've noticed is that you should always show, you should always be as helpful as possible because that way you're setting up this other person to be socially obligated to be nice to the next person they encounter and show them. <laughs> I, I like that you phrased it that way, that they're socially <laughs> obligated to be nice. Well, so from what I heard from you, so I have the same thing, like, Philly RB helped me out, so I'm, like I feel that I should help other new. Now folks. you run Philly RB, <laughs> and you you're the same thing. Like you teach classes now because you feel someone helped you, yeah. and you want to give back. And I think to make pr the programming world a better place, we should be very kind to people, and then they'll be kind to others. I guess it's interesting. So because I I've heard before people say things. This is actually. So this is something I shouldn't have known anyway because it was a YouTube comment and I shouldn't have read the comments because you shouldn't ever read the comments. Mm -mm. But I read the comments uh, on one of my conference talks when I was actually talking about education and they some random took issue with the idea of a programming community. And they said, well, 
you're just writing a programming language. Why does there have to be a community involved? And, you know, luckily in the comments that I shouldn't have been reading, someone was like, you don't get it. She was speaking at a conference for that programming language. It makes complete sense. Go home. (laughs) Um, However, uh, it is still an interesting question that, you know, we, I I feel like there's, you know, a, an interesting, um, or at least like, it's interesting the the amount of discussion that there is about what a programming community is, and it's also at a certain level like this is still our our jobs. Like we don't have to have a programming community; you can just have a job and just go work and stuff. So, but at the same time, we see how much we get from the programming community. So, what do you guys think about that idea? I w- I think Len would probably have some interesting opinions about that. Yeah, I think, like I said, that was like one of the things that changed my outlook on programming. And I also just know there was a lot of programmers like me who don't like their jobs, who are the nine to five programmers where 501 hits and they run out the door and they don't want to think about work again because their work's probably miserable. And none of them are listening to the podcast because they don't, you know, try to uh, better themselves in their free time. Um, I don't know. I think it's weird because we're like a space where our job is also often our hobby and people if see us like working quote unquote working and feel bad for us and it's like no it's like this is my entertainment too <laughs> is it is it is your pin tweet still the same one about like guitar that it was a while ago yeah yeah uh, wait what did i say uh, i really like that oh nobody <laughs> feels bad nobody feels bad for guitar players for just practicing so we should change the name of of our work for practice or play yeah, like, no, that's what playing yeah so maybe we should just say like i'm gonna go play my computer yeah <laughs> i read that tweet too and i really liked it <laughs> thanks so how do you pick uh what you want to experiment with or like what's your what's your filter do you go through phases of just intaking things and then do you have a process of like yeah right, how do you I prioritize know. what's the yeah. what's the thing to learn next I think I think both of those questions are, are are interesting because there is a barrage of information that's always around and there are just so many things to learn it can be kind of paralyzing um, on the other hand if you don't seek those things out you know you may not know that those things exist but uh, I think I think in terms of learning what to uh, kind of figuring out what to learn next um, I don't think of it in terms of what technology I should learn. It's more about what problem do I have and what solution will solve it. And then I start exploring uh, kind of my options that are out there. So, you know, I think of I think of a little project to work on or at work I have an issue that I have to solve. And so I really learn about, about um, you know, new technologies or new libraries or you know, I'm reminded that I have to learn X, Y, and Z through that. So I force myself to learn it um, by means of working on a project. And for me, I found that that was the best way to learn, but also the best way to stay motivated when you're trying to learn something. Um, Because previously, when I was just trying to, you know, learn Java, um, I didn't feel like I had a purpose to learn it. Uh, having a project to work on or an actual problem that you're trying to solve, it kind of gives the learning a little bit more purpose, I think. And that makes it a little bit easier to narrow down what to learn and what to focus on, what kind of questions to ask. And that's really how I pick things out. So I have a problem or a project, and then I find out more about that technology um, and focus on that. 
So are there any problems you're kind of obsessing over at the moment? Well, I was obsessing over the local storage in the past couple in the past week or so. Um, and then I was, you know, I was looking at different libraries to visualize data. And I realized that I have to, you know, I have to learn D3 at some point. Um, because I just found it amazing. And I would love to draw charts. And um, I think visualizations are are fantastic and I know nothing about D3. So I think that might be my next my next project. Either that or learning Angular. You said you were working on a ticket to ride app as well. That piqued my interest as a as a board game nerd. I love board games. Uh, this was in college, so I don't you know it was that was a while ago. Um, and I don't <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember much from it except that it was in Java. Uh, and, you know, I had to write this shortest distance algorithm and find, you know, what was most efficient. And it was it was a pretty painful assignment. On the other hand, board games are not painful at all, and they are fantastic. <laughs> and right now I'm getting my butt kicked in Pandemic. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, aren't we all, though? Aren't we all? <laughs> Do you have a mentor? Um, so I rotate between a couple of mentors. Right now, one of uh, the team leads at my company, um, I've been meeting up with him and we've been talking about some things to focus on. Um, my last topic that I was focusing on was kind of writing JavaScript, um, just using different patterns like function expressions um, and using like an instance pattern to declare declare variables as opposed to as opposed to um, declaring them kind of at the top of your script, kind of using an instance to to declare them. Um, so yeah, I do have a mentor right now, but depending on what I what I'm trying to focus on or in which area I'm trying to grow, uh, I look towards towards different towards a couple of different people. Uh, for example, for public speaking, I just generally talk to Jessica Ivans. Um, who's been who's been wonderful? She, we worked one on one at A Weber, and we just kind of continued that relationship slightly less formally. Um, but I go to her for you know if I have questions about about that particular topic, if I have a question about programming, you know I go to the team lead that I've been working with, Kurt, who's been fantastic. Um, if I have questions about you know work dynamics. Um, I go to I go to Yasmin from Girl Develop It. It's it really depends on what I'm working on, um, and I, I kind of uh, look up to a couple of different people. But I would say I would say Kurt at work right now is is my main mentor. It's not a it's not a relationship that's set in stone. Okay. So programming is obviously important because it's your job, but are there other skills that you think as a programmer that are also important that you know you don't always have to focus on being a good programmer, you can be good at X? Do you have any opinions on that? Or? I do. I think it's actually really important to have, to have hobbies or activities that you do outside of programming, um, just completely different, um, that help you clear your mind. Because uh, I think... I think it's really important in life to have a good balance. And if you're thinking all day, you know, and then you think for fun as well, um, and you spend 12 hours out of a day just 
using your mind. You need something completely different in order to be able to clear your mind, to refresh yourself, get ready for the next day, kind of have a balance in your life. Um, so I, I love playing board games. I love, um, I'm a competitive ballroom and Latin dancer. I'm, you know, I love going out on hikes and nature trails and I have a soft spot for mycology and, and mushroom picking and cooking, you know, all of those all of those activities. So I try to kind of um, select interests outside of programming um, to kind of help balance that. In terms of what complements programming, I think I think being able to communicate well with your team. So working on your communication skills, I think, is key as a programmer, and it not only helps with um, communications within the team, but with with clients, with clarifying requirements, for example, um, and w- with empathy. Um, so I think communication is is kind of a complementary skill, and hobbies and interests are uh, a good balance to to programming. So at the end of the show, did we warn you that we do picks? That you do what? So at the end of podcast, you like you have picks, and you can have a pick if you want. I think we forgot to tell you about picks. Len, I think so I, Len, I think I did say in the email, but you, you did. Okay. Maybe I didn't clarify what picks were. You might you have just said, said it, things. and I might have, I might have read it and just thought, okay, I'm not, I, I may not have caught on to it. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I so Justin had to go a little early, but he said his pick is flossing daily because he had to go to the dentist. And so that's Justin's pick. Now I, Pam, will give my pick. <laughs> and um, my pick is, I think it's interesting, a couple episodes, people have been picking other podcasts, and I think that's cool and like warm and fuzzy. And so I'm going to pick Revision Path, which is a podcast that uh, highlights black uh, web designers graphic designers and developers and i think that that's cool and they've been they've been going for a long while so they have a a a long uh, archive if you want to listen it through it so so we were talking so much about board games and uh, i'll pick a board game i've been playing lately it's actually a card game called star realms and mm-hmm. i really appreciate it because a lot of times when somebody releases a card game they, for some reason, feel compelled to throw it in a gigantic box, which is completely unnecessary. So, like, uh, Dominion comes in this box that it will not the even fit. It defeats the entire purpose of cards. Yeah. It doesn't even fit, like, in my backpack. The box is so big. Uh, but this is nice. It comes in just, like, a card box. Um, it's, like, $15. And it's also out for iOS. And I also like their strategy there. Uh, the game is free on iOS. Uh, and you can play just against one easy bot and then you pay for the rest of the game. Uh, so I like that pricing model too. And it's a, it's fun like Dominion, uh, if you're familiar with that, but you also mm-hmm. attack other players. So it's a little more competitive than Dominion. Uh, so Star Realms. Hmm. I'm going to have to look into that one. So speaking of balance, um, I guess my pick will be something new that I'm into. I've been going salsa dancing a good amount. And so cool. I want to encourage encourage taking a salsa class. There are a ton available around the city in the Philly area. And I definitely, like I said, I think it helps take your mind off of everything else going on in life because it completely clears every single thought in your head. Um, but 
there's a Tuesday salsa at the Reef on Third and South, so that's going to be my pick. Cool, Jervon, do you have a pick? Yeah, so I um I went to the Haskell Hackathon HackFi. I didn't know any Haskell, um, and I read uh, Learn Your Haskell. Well, I read parts of Learn Your Haskell for a great good. Um, it's a very fun read and easy to grasp, or makes things. Can easy you to grasp. can you teach me a Haskell now? I can teach you the basics of Haskell. Um, she just wants a Haskell. A Haskell. a Haskell. a Haskell. Just one. Okay. Yeah. Yes, I can teach you one Haskell. Um, Excellent. Yeah. So, And then my music pick is uh, Something from Nothing uh, by the Foo Fighters. Cool. So thanks so much for being on, Yana. Uh, where can yeah. people yeah. find out more about you? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at J-V-E-L-I-S-K-O-V-A. And that's pretty much where I put any thoughts about um, technology or, you know, conferences. And I'm not going to mention my website because it's currently currently in a state of distress. But <laughs> Twitter is really the best place to find me. Uh, cool. So show notes are at turing.cool slash 25. Leave us feedback on Twitter at, at turingcool. And I'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Thank you so yeah. much for having me. It was a pleasure. Oh, thank you. All right. Thanks Have a good on. morning. Bye. Right. See you guys. Bye. Bye.